Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Well, hi, everyone. You're seeing the face of Sean Powell from NBA.com as we're getting ready to talk about uh, game five tonight in the Boston-Miami um, series. Uh, I'm wondering if we're just delaying the inevitable, Sean, because the Denver Nuggets right now look like the power team in the NBA, the way they disposed of the Lakers. And I'm not sure Miami or Boston, who gives them a tougher fight? Uh, right now, Miami's sitting in the driver's seat, leading three games to one. What do you think? I think a lot depends on the condition of the team that emerges from the Eastern Conference Finals. Like, for example, if Miami wins a game, do they get Tyler Hero back? Um, you know, are they uh, injury-free? Uh, they just went through um, a longer series. Are they refreshed? Uh, can they keep up this intensity for yet another round? You have to look at, look at the pelts on their wall. You know, Milwaukee, potentially Boston, uh, you know, I mean, this is pretty impressive. So um, can they continue that run against another team that they will be underdog against? Now, if the Celtics win a seven game series, well, they've gone through seven games and you you wonder whether or not, uh, you know, number one, how they would go against a rested Denver Nuggets team. And the other thing is the Celtics throughout the playoffs, as we've seen, uh, they have not exactly looked uh, like a juggernaut. You know, they've struggled against lesser teams. Do they fix that in time to play against a, a very good top-seeded Denver Nuggets team? So I think there are a lot of questions that need to be answered between now and game one of the NBA Finals. Sean, you've been covering the league for a long time. Uh, usually there's a premium on having home court advantage. And yet when you look at the at what's going on right now, We've seen a lot of road teams winning the playoffs all the way around. But let's talk about Boston. You know they're 10 and 11 at home in this year's postseason? And when you think about the history of the Boston Celtics, that's really odd. Yeah, it is odd because, you know, when you look at the, the historical postseason of the Celtics, when teams come into the garden, I mean, they're already shook a little bit. You have to be because of, you know, the history and everything like that. Obviously, the one reason why those Boston Celtics teams in the past has such great home records because they were great teams. You right. know, Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, uh, Rajon Rondo. And then, you, of course, you go back to Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, Robert Parrish, and, and Dennis Johnson, so on and so forth. Uh, so, But this is really weird because the Celtics last year were a very good home team. Uh, and yet, uh, I don't know why that slipped this year. I would even argue that they have a better team 
this year than last year. You know, you add a guy, you know, Malcolm Brogdon, the growth of some of their younger players coming up, Robert Williams, healthy. Uh, so I think they actually have a better team last year than the team that went to the NBA, NBA finals. And actually we were up, what, 2-1 over the Warriors at one point in the finals. But for whatever reason, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if you want to just look at coaching, the fact that, you know, are, are they prepared, whatever it might be. They just haven't seemed to be holding down the home court. Let me just say one other thing, Howard, because you brought up a good point about home road, things like that, this late in the playoffs. I don't think uh, I don't think there is a big advantage uh, at this stage of the playoffs, because I think once you reach the, the, the conference finals, both teams are pretty good. Both both teams have uh, uh, demonstrated an ability to block out the, the crowd noise and things like that and play very well on the other team's court. So w- does home court advantage mean something, say, the first round when it's a, you know, a one versus an eight seed or a two versus a seven, things like that? Yeah, okay, probably. But the deeper you go in the postseason, I think it matters, it matters less and less. John Powell of NBA.com. I broadcast Celtics games during the ill-fated Rick Pitino era. Uh, and my partner then, Cedric Maxwell, is still doing their games on radio in Boston. And I talk to Max all the time. Uh, you know, when, when, when uh, Kyrie Irving left town, he told me that the players wanted to have a party when he left. Uh, that's what, how negative the whole aura was, you know, in the locker room there. And, and, and I'll go, I'll get back to the series in a second, but there's discussion now that the Lakers have interest in Kyrie Irving. Uh, I look at what happened to he and LeBron in Cleveland. They, yeah, they won a title, but it didn't end great. And then he goes to Boston. That ended very badly. Went to Brooklyn. We all know about what a debacle that was. So now here he is in Dallas. They have not uh, made a deal for Kyrie Irving. So, I mean, he's an unrestricted free agent. And I had a little bit of an, a dispute yesterday with Keyshawn Johnson, who does a radio show for ESPN. He's a big Laker fan. I said, Key, you don't want Kyrie Irving on that team. He goes, I know all you haters. I said, Key, I don't hate the guy. I just think that he brings a lot of baggage. And I don't look at him as a team player. I look at him as a guy who's out for Kyrie. Am I, am I misreading him? I would probably say you're pretty much spot on. Um, here's the part about Kyrie Irving that maybe you don't understand and I don't understand, but the players understand. He has great respect in the NBA brotherhood. He really yeah. does. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, LeBron loves him. Uh, Kevin Durant left Steph Curry for him. Now, first of all, I thought that was crazy. Right. But players around the league love Kyrie Irving. They do. And, and if you see after games, uh, Kyrie Irving plays when the game is over and he goes to give that hug. There's like a procession line waiting to give Kyrie Irving a hug. So that's the part where maybe you and I, we're not in the dynamics of the locker room, things like that. We may have a hard time wrapping our heads around that, but that much is true. Now let's get to the point where I think you're a little bit more spot on. Kyrie Irving is leaving a trail of destruction. You know, I mean, maybe the players left him, but ask the general managers who, who acquired him, mm-hmm. get their feelings. It might be a little bit different. You know, ask, uh, you know, Danny Ainge when he was in Boston, what does he think about Kyrie Irving? It might be a little bit different. You know, same thing with Sean Marks in Brooklyn. 
might be a little bit different. You see what I'm saying? You see where I'm going with this? Yeah. I mean, teams have, and ask the owners of these teams what they think about Kyrie Irving, might be a little bit different. And these teams have invested a lot in Kyrie Irving in terms of money, in terms of the uh, assets it took to get him, okay, to get him, and they have nothing to show for it. He's burned those bridges on his way out of town. Yep. So on one hand, he will always be welcomed by NBA players because number one, he's a tremendous talent. Number two, he connects with them more like on a personal scale. Kyrie Irving is not quote unquote, a bad guy. He really isn't, you know, there's a lot about Kyrie that's very misunderstood, but the bottom line is he's quirky and he feels that he doesn't have a responsibility to the, the, the person who signs his check and he feels that he's the smartest person in the room and he has all the answers. That's where Kyrie Irving gets in trouble. You're completely right. Look, I, I, I'm old school. I believe in team. You come mm-hmm. to play for a team, you go by what the majority, you know, you're not. But look at him. Did not want to take the injection for COVID. Okay. One, you know, kept walking down his own trail, uh, not being part of the team per se. But that aside, Somebody uh, this morning, I'm watching ESPN and somebody, and I remember who on the panel said it. They said, if the Lakers had had Kyrie Irving now, they'd still be playing. And I went, whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're telling me that Kyrie Irving would have made a difference between getting swept and continued to play? I I just don't buy that. I think that's foolish. I I would say maybe, maybe not. Because if the alternative is... um... Uh, D'Angelo Russell, I would say, yeah. <laughs> okay. D'Angelo Russell was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> and Kyrie Irving is a better player. I yeah. Mean, by far better player than D'Angelo Russell. Now, whether or not he would have made a big difference against Jamal Murray in that series, Jamal Murray was on fire. Yep. And Kyrie Irving is not a great defensive player. Uh, so I think Jamal Murray still would have had the, you know, the production, the output and everything. But there were a couple, last couple games of that series, D'Angelo Russell was unplayable. As a matter of fact, they benched him. Yep. Okay, four. They mm-hmm. would, would not, Kyrie Irving would not have given Darvin Ham a reason to bench him uh, throughout that series, much less a game four. And that's just one more unpredictable pl- offensive player you have on the floor next to LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Now, look, we can all sit here and speculate and whatever, whatever, whatever. Uh, I don't think it would have been a, a sweep, but at the same time, would the end result be the same? Probably. I think Denver probably would have been moving on. Well, what are we talking about? We're talking about a Denver Nuggets team. Right now, you got to look at them, no matter who they play, whether it's Miami or Boston, you'd think they'll be the favorite. But but that aside, but what came out of that series, bigger than who won, was now we're talking about, is LeBron James going to retire? Now, I don't think that that is realistic, but I'm not LeBron James. I have a lot of respect for him as a great player, uh, but I don't know what's going on inside his head. Uh, do I expect him to retire? No, I don't. Uh, is he sending a message to management that I'm considering retiring, uh, but if you do X, Y, and Z, I'll stay? He's still yeah. got a year to go on his contract, and it's a player option for two years down the road. So, I mean, he's still committed to the Lakers for a period of time. Yeah, so uh, there's a lot to unravel here. Uh, first of all, uh, LeBron was not prompted. You know, he just blurted it out. Yeah. In his interview and everything. <laughs> yeah. First of all, why did he do that? LeBron is, 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 is a smart guy. He knows how the media game works. He knows that if he, if he says anything, 
It'll be on all the, the TV debate shows and people writing and all that stuff. Yes. So what he did was calculated, calculated. It wasn't just a mistake. First of all, nobody asked him about his future, not really. And then number two, even if someone did, you know, the obligatory thing would be to say, ah, you know, I just want to, I'm 38 years old, just take a summer off. We'll see. But I mean, I don't expect blah, 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 blah. And then people would gone on their way. So he just threw that grenade out there you know, purposely. Uh, I And I'm with you. I don't think he's going to quit for a variety of reasons. Number one, he loves playing basketball. Number two, he's still at a high level of play. Yep. Uh, one thing I asked Michael Jordan when Michael Jordan was playing, I said, Michael, when will you know when it's time for you to retire? He says, uh, I'm never going to get to, he, he looked at Robert Parrish. He says, see that guy over there? Robert Parrish was, was on the bench with the uh, Chicago Bulls his final year. He says, that's never going to be me. That's never going to be me. Mm -hmm. I'm never going to be some guy just hanging on. You know, look at Blake Griffin with the Celtics. Michael Jordan would never put himself in that position where he's just hanging on, where he's not the star of the team, where he's not uh, in an all-star MVP conversation, all that. You know, when you get to that point, there's too much pride. You've already made a ton of money, so it's not like, you know, you need to keep playing for money. There's too much pride involved. And I say the same thing with LeBron James. There is no way LeBron James is going to stay on until, you know, he's the third best player in this team, until guys are dunking on him. That's, he, he will never let it get to that point, ever, ever, ever. So on one hand, I say I do think he's going to keep playing. On the other hand, if there's any slippage in his play, he is done. He is done. He will never give people that video of him getting dunked on and he's fallen to the ground or he's you know, shooting five for 20, or he's sitting on the end of the bench, or his coaches get ready to bench him. I saw that a little bit with Patrick Ewing in New York. And why Patrick Ewing decided to spend his next couple years in Seattle and Orlando. I mean, look, I get it. Guys want to pay you. That's fine and everything. But I would never have subjected myself to that if I was a player of Patrick Ewing's level. Same thing with Elijah playing and going out with the uh, Toronto Raptors. Yeah, I forgot about that. He's uh, Sean Powell of NBA.com. What I I took away from the Lakers Nuggets series was, number one, I had seen Jokic play a lot of times on television and admired his ability. But watching him for an entire series, I have a new appreciation for how great this guy really is. I mean, he's got incredible for a man of his size and bulk how agile he is. And he did, I mean, that one three point shot he put up, which was a prayer before the clock went out. Yeah, that was, that was unbelievable. But as I look, and I was, I was a big fan of history when I went to school. I love history. I'm where does Jokic fit in in history? Top five, top six, top seven. We've already been through the goat LeBron or Michael. I don't want to go through that because Michael was the best of his time. LeBron's the best of his time. Where does Jokic fit in amongst the centers in the history of the NBA when you think of Kareem and Wilt and Olajuwon, some of the great centers that have played the game, and Bill Russell, of course? Where does he fit? Well, my easy answer to that is we don't know because he's he's not done playing. Fair. Uh, Fair point. Again, this is a guy who's not even 30 years old, okay? And so you figure he's got at least several more years in the NBA, uh, he probably has another five years where he'll get top three MVP votes. So we don't know yet. Uh, I can just tell you from the context of the here and the now, first of all, he's got two MVPs and an MVP runner up. 
So now if you look at all the, the centers in the league who have just that alone, you know, it's what, five, six at most, you know, who just have that resume. He doesn't have a championship. Uh, however, however, uh, the last couple of years, he was missing his, you know, next, you know, top players, you know, Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray, they were hurt. So the last two years actually were, were very impressive. The fact that he had to drag in a bunch of role players to the, the playoffs, I mean, that's why he won the MVP award. And let me just say one other thing about Jokic. You know, Michael Malone, who I love, you know, I know, I know his father, Brendan Malone, longtime assistant coach with the Knicks and the NBA, all this stuff, saw Michael when he was young, coming up with, through the, uh, uh, the, the Cleveland uh, Cavaliers when Michael Jordan was there. He had an outstanding run in uh, Sacramento. The results didn't bear out, but when you can get um, DeMarcus Cousins to love you, trust me, you did a good job. And yeah. in Denver, we see what he's doing. But here's the problem I have with Michael Malone. And maybe this is coach stuff and everything. He's saying, ah, you guys, us media, you don't respect, you know, <laughs> the whole Jokic and what he's doing. Excuse me. Excuse me. Hold on. I believe the media voted him. MVP back to back. I believe the media even had him as the MVP front runner until you know uh, uh, the last month of the season. Um, you, you know, I mean, when uh, who's the Sixers? Embiid. Um, Embiid went on a tear. Yeah. Where do you get that the media doesn't respect Nikola Jokic? Yeah, I, I don't get that. I, I, I don't. I, I just don't get it. Uh, I'll tell you what. How about this? When, this was the first year when when team captains were picking sides for the All-Star game. Uh, I don't think LeBron James respected Nicole Jokic because he was like the last player picked. Now, tell me, now, if there's anything, go to, LeBron James, go to LeBron James with that same argument. Say, hey, man, you don't respect Nicole Jokic because you didn't make him the first pick when you were choosing sides <laughs> for the All-Star game. Yeah. So you, no. like, you know what? Like I said, man, let me tell you something. Uh, I think a lot of times, particularly with the Denver Nuggets, they, they get too caught up in the morning debate shows on TV, and they feel that those shows are reflective of the national media. And it is absolutely 100% false. Stop watching those shows. Mix in the Discovery <laughs> Channel once in a while. Or read the New York <laughs> Times, or read the Miami Herald, you know, or read NBA.com. Stop, stop looking at those shows and feel that those shows are reflective of how we all think, because it's 100% false. False. A lot of national media people look at the Denver Nuggets and say, this team is amazing. Jokic is off the charts. Michael Malone, great job as coach of the Denver Nuggets. Stop watching those shows and get the real message. No, you're right. He's Sean Powell of NBA.com. I, too, uh, know his dad, Brendan, uh, when he was with the, the uh, Detroit Pistons under Chuck Daly. Uh, and he, I would always seek him out before a game because he's had one great personalities and senses of humor. And now I understand he's of ill health, which kind of saddens me a little bit. But Michael Malone, the one thing I will point at Michael Malone and say, wait a minute. And maybe he's using it to motivate his team. And I'm going to go with that. During the Lakers series, uh, he kept bringing up the fact that the, the national media was talking about uh, the Lakers this, the Lakers that. Didn't give his own team a lot of credit and it bothered him. Now, was he using it as motivation for his team? Okay, that's that's not a bad idea. I give him a lot of credit because unless I miss my guess, Sean, I don't know how you can pick Miami or Boston to beat this Denver team. They are so, what what uh, Jamal Murray did against the Lakers. <laughs> Forget Jokic for a second. This team is loaded right now. They got uh, Michael Porter Jr. You've already mentioned. 
This is a very good basketball team. But let's get into tonight. Boston, obviously, it this there's a lot of pressure. They got to win or it's over. But isn't there as much pressure on Miami? They don't want to go back home still in a series now, do they? Yeah, well, you know, the longer you extend the series and longer you, you, you play out the series and you don't finish it off, the more chance that something could hurt you. Like, take, for example, you know, Gabe Vincent, who's played tremendously in this yep. series, you know, he hurt his ankle. So now, you know, he's he's not going to play uh, in this game five. So, again, the longer this, a series goes and you don't close out the team, the more chances of bad things can happen. You know, suddenly your team has been playing with a lot of confidence. Suddenly, maybe they lose confidence. Like, like for example, suppose the Celtics in this game win by 30 points. Okay. And now suddenly, suddenly, all of a sudden, you know, if you're in Miami, you're going home and you're like, wow, what just hit us? And could this actually happen? And so you might, that, that doubt might creep into you because you just got handled in Boston. And meanwhile, that Boston team, on the other hand, suddenly nobody's firing Joe Missoula. You know, suddenly nobody's breaking up Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. All of a sudden, the, those, those morning talk shows, those morning debate shows, they're turning the tide and talking about how Miami can choke and this and that. And all of a sudden, people in the Miami Heat are, you know, listening to that. And really, So the bottom line is this. Uh, momentum in the NBA playoffs can change without warning. Life comes at you fast. Howard, you know that you've been around this league long enough. Life comes at you fast. And so if, for the, if, if Miami doesn't close the deal tonight, I'm, the, the pressure is still on the Celtics because they yeah. have to go to Miami and win. I mean, they're playing every game as though they're, you know, the, the, their lives in this season depend on it because that's true. Okay. Miami can still has wiggle room, right? So having said that, you know, you're talking about a Miami team that doesn't have a true superstar, Jimmy Butler, no disrespect to Jimmy Butler. He's a playoff superstar, but the regular season, you know, he's probably not right there. And Bam Adebayo goes up and down. There's really nothing else but a bunch of guys who weren't drafted or lightly guarded. Kyle Lowry obviously has an NBA championship, but he's older now. He's not at the, you know, at his peak. Eric Spolcher, tremendous coach and whatever. But Boston is the more talented team, Howard. You know mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. They're the more talented team. And if that talented team starts to feel good about itself finally after being in the rut, I mean, I don't know, man. We'll see how this goes. Like I said, basketball life comes at you quickly in the playoffs, quickly. You look at Joe Missoula, and you're right. He's come under some criticism. He's a rookie coach, let's be real. I think the Celtics uh, probably missed something they should have done when they named him as a head coach. Should have given him a lead assistant, a veteran lead assistant, and they didn't do that. Uh, but that aside, uh, he's learning by baptism by fire. Uh, and th- this is a team. That you got Jason Tatum who can light it up for 50 on any given night. I would like to see them go to Jalen Brown a little bit more than they do because we know he's a terrific player and he can score with the best of them. I think he presents a real problem because he and Tatum together are murder on the opposition. Uh, I I think it's going to be a very interesting game. Uh, It's all about who's got the the hungrier belly right now. Who wants to win it more? Absolutely. Uh, And with regards to Joe Missoula, I mean, look, he wasn't, I mean, look, this time last year, he was sitting behind the bench. <laughs> he wasn't even the top assistant. The top assistant now is coaching Utah Jazz, right? Uh, and obviously, we know what happened to Ime Adoka. 
And then suddenly Brad Stevens, if you run in the Celtics, you, you, you know, you're, you're like, you're deep into summer and all of a sudden you have to make this coaching decision. Like, you know, what do you do? At that point in time, all the coaches that you would want have already been hired, right? You know, like take right now where you've got what, four or five teams with, with coach openings, Nick Nurse is out there, whatever. Well, Nick, a guy like Nick Nurse would not have been available in August, you know, right. of last year when you were looking for a coach, you know, if you're Brad Stevens. So he really didn't have much choice there. He had to turn to someone on his own team. And like I said, his first choice went to Utah Jazz. He had to turn um, to his, you know, someone on the coaching staff, his own team. The reason why he had to do that is because everybody on that staff already knew the system. You know, they already knew what Emeadoka did last year. They already knew Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. They didn't have to bring in someone from the outside. And again, it would not have been a great candidate anyway. They had to bring someone in from the outside who was unemployed and just throw them in there. And again, keep in mind that this team went to the NBA Finals last year, was up 2-1 on the Warriors. There was a lot at stake this season for the Boston Celtics, you know, so they had to try to keep the continuity, right? So that's why, you know, Joe Mazzulla got the job. And by the way, let me just say one other thing. Nobody was saying fire Joe Mazzulla like in February and March. You know, when the Celtics were cruising right along, mm-hmm. no one was saying fi- fire Joe Missoula when the results of the NBA coach, coach of the Year Award came out and he finished in third place with votes among his peers. Nobody was saying that. People were just saying it from this series when they fell, fell down 3-0. Suddenly he doesn't know what he's doing. And, let me, and, 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 and not to take him totally off the grid, but let me just say one thing. Uh, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, these guys aren't rookies. They know what to do. They don't have to jo- turn to Joe Mizzou and say, hey, coach, what do we do here? Yeah, Guys have been playing basketball their whole lives, Howard. All yeah. of a sudden, they don't know how to play basketball. They don't know the system. They, they don't know what they should do when the shot clock's running down. They don't know what they should do after a timeout, two minutes left in a tight game. You mean to tell me these guys still need – come on, man. Do you think the great – you think Michael Jordan and, – and look, no disrespect to Phil Jackson. Do you think Michael Jordan had to get instructions from Phil Jackson? He knew what to do. Yep. The great no, players know what to do. Jason, yeah. I'm not taking Jason Tatum off the hook. He hasn't played well. He doesn't need a uh, Jalen Brown. He doesn't need a uh, coach. I'm not getting the ball. Well, go get the ball. Go get the ball. As simple as that. You know, we this blame game, you know, and I get it. I get it. You know, but come on, man. I think the players have as much invested in this and, and deserves as much praise and criticism as the coach. Real quick before I let you go, you got five coaching openings that are out there. And you got Milwaukee, number one team in the East. You got Philadelphia. You got Detroit. You got Toronto. You got, uh, I'm, I'm missing one team, uh, Philadelphia, Detroit, Phoenix. You got some really good jobs out there and some coaches uh, that uh, are waiting to get. And some of those guys, you're going to see the same guys. You're going right. to see Amani Williams get rehired. You're yeah. going to see a Nick Nurse get hired. I'm hearing names like Kenny Atkinson. I'm hearing names like... Uh, uh, Mike Nash. Mike Dan, Mike D'Antoni, Steve Nash. Yep. Uh, which job do you think falls first? Uh, that's a great question. I think it, which job Nick Nurse wants. Um, really? Because he's the best candidate out there. He has an NBA championship, you know. And I know Dockers has an NBA championship too, but that was so long ago, 2009. And he's lost a lot of game seven since then. Uh, I still think Doc Rivers is a fantastic coach. The, the contrary to what people in Philadelphia and other places might think, I think he will definitely get a, a job next season if he wants it. It may not be the, his first choice. Like I said, Nick Nurse is going it, to, it really comes down to what Nick Nurse wants. And if I'm Nick, Nick, Nick Nurse, 
it's hard to pass up a chance to, to coach Giannis in Milwaukee. That's hard. Uh-huh. That is hard. First of all, Giannis is just, what, 30 years old? You know, I mean, the, the, he, he's been the best player in the NBA the last five years. The best player. You know, I don't think we can debate that. Yeah. Uh, and he's still in this prime. And the other job, obviously, well, this is the curious job is the Phoenix Suns. And I think it comes down to how much does Kevin Durant have left? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, we just don't know uh, how, you know, all that's working out. Got a new ownership down there, too. You just really just don't know about Phoenix. But that would be a number two. Detroit job is intriguing because you have young players, but that's going to take a teacher. Toronto, I just don't know about that one. I mean, it could be. I, I, I love Masai Ujiri. But I don't know where that one's going. I'm going to give you a name, Victor Wambanyana. I'm looking forward to seeing this kid play. <laughs> and he's going to be in San Antonio, which means that Pop is not retiring anytime soon. Well, you know what's going to be interesting about that scenario is uh, obviously the Spurs had lucked out with David Robinson and Tim Duncan in the past. Uh, I liken this more to the uh, David Robinson coming to the Spurs rather than Tim Duncan coming in. Because when David Robinson came to the Spurs, the, uh, the Spurs have won just like 20 games the year before. And then this, and, and, and Wembenyama's coming to a team that just won 21 games the year before. So I kind of think that, look, small market, great coach, he'll have a great situation. He won't have a lot of scrutiny on him right away, not a demanding market or anything like that. He can grow, it's, it's a very good situation. But the Spurs have to reinvent themselves. They have to yes. rebuild themselves. They've been bad for the last three or four years. And, and, and what, let me just leave you one more thing. You talk about the coach openings now and what's good and what's best. What about when, say, three, four years from now, when Pop finally says, you know what? Yeah. <laughs> now that is going to be a coach yeah, opening yeah. right there. No, no doubt about it. Sean, appreciate your insight, man. Great and talking to you. Uh, you stay safe. Thanks. I appreciate you having me, Howard. Thank you. He's Sean Powell of NBA.com. I think it's a fascinating scenario what's going on right now in the NBA on so many levels. Uh, We'll talk even further with Brian Geltseiler of SiriusXM NBA Radio in a moment. Uh, I just look at the the way it's going on right now uh, in the NBA uh, with the game that's getting ready to take place uh, tonight uh, with regards to the Celtics and the Heat. Uh, I, I don't know. I, <laughs> I think it's fascinating. Um, let me get a hold of my man. Check out Mr. Geltsider and bring him in. And we'll talk even further about what's going on NBA-wise. Uh, as we'll, we'll check it even further. Uh, I haven't seen much of this Victor Wambayana. First of all, I'm trying to learn how to pronounce his name. That's that's as difficult a, a, a problem as anything else. But, you know, having said that, um, I don't know. I'd rather be more focused on what's going on currently right now. And, and to be truthful, uh, I, I look at it this way. Denver's going to be too much for Miami or Boston. I really believe that. Jokic is impossible to deal with. Uh, but you got Jamal Murray, who lit it up during the previous series, particularly against the Lakers. We'll talk even further with that with Brian Geltzahler in a moment. Um, and there he is. Hey, Geltz, how you doing? Good, Howard. How are you? Can't complain. Nobody cares. You know, that famous, <laughs> line, that famous line from the Bronx tale when Sonny's talking to the kid. He goes, nobody cares. 
I love it. I love it. Hey, what does me. Paulie Walnut say? He's like, he's like, hey, I got my own problems. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Tell me a male in America that doesn't love watching mob movies. I it's tough to find one. It really is. And I got a 13 and a half year old son that asked me the other day, Dad, a buddy of mine watched Goodfellas. What do you think? <laughs> I said, I think maybe we should sit down and watch it together, pal. You yeah. know? <laughs> and the other thing is, I mean, who's the best mob guy ever? Pesci, right? Yeah, fantastic. He's in a new show, not playing a mob guy. He's in a new show with Pete Davidson and Edie Falco on a Hulu called Bupkis, which is, uh, I watched the first episode. It's fun. Really? I got to tune that in. Uh, my daughter is a, is a publicist uh, uh, for uh, Paramount Plus. And so she's been oh, involved. Wow. Yeah, she's been involved. She's been doing it her whole life. But she's been involved with Sylvester Stallone and the new shows that he's got coming on television now. Uh, years ago, she invited me. There was a mob movie that James Gandolfini, the late James Gandolfini, was in. Uh, Ray Liotta was in it as well. He's also passed away. Uh, and I got a chance to spend some time with Liotta. I said, tell me about the scene in Goodfellas in the, in the bar when Pesci says, uh, do I amuse you? What's so funny about him? How did you react to that? He goes, I'll tell you a true story. He says, we got the script. And we're going through a rehearsal. And Pesci comes to that line where he goes, do I amuse you? What's a he goes through that whole thing. Leota said, I'm telling you, I damn near went to the bathroom right then and there. Right. He scared the hell out of me. I'm sure it was, he did a great job in that scene. I am quite sure that that was a little scary to be done live. Let's talk about a little NBA basketball with Brian Geltzahler from Sirius XM NBA Radio. Interesting to note that after the Lakers-Denver series was over and everybody's talking about LeBron James and his remarks at the podium in the final press conference, where without being asked, he volunteered the fact that, you know, there's a chance he may retire. I don't think that's going to happen necessarily. But let me ask you, do you think he was sending a message to his own organization? Maybe. I, I, think, there was, I think there was some authenticity to it. He had just came one assist away from a 40-point triple-double in an elimination game. He spent the entire fourth quarter guarding either Jokic or Murray on every possession. His foot's killing him, Howard. He, I mean, he tore a tendon in the end of February. He hasn't even checked to see if it was healed or not. He's just played through it. And I think that that was some exhaustion talking. I also feel like, you know, in the end, when we see what happens in these playoff series, you know, the benches shorten up and it's not just a cliche because generally you see what players a coach can and can't trust. And as much as we want to talk about the great job Rob Palenka did with that big trade, you know, at, at the trade deadline, in the end, you know, for the Lakers, they had five playable guys and Russell wasn't one of them and Vanderbilt wasn't one of them and Beasley wasn't one of them. It's all the guys they got in that deal. My point being, for LeBron, I think it was some frustration talking. And I think it's the fact that LeBron needs another shot maker on that team if they're going to get over to hump. And he knows who he wants. And, and you know, whether the Lakers want to honor that and go get the guy and go into the luxury tax to do it and figure out a way to to do some cap gymnastics to be able to bring in Kyrie Irving is a different ballgame. But I think LeBron's always seeking leverage in a way. But I, I do think that there was generally some authenticity in that moment in, like, I'm exhausted here. Let's not take anything for granted. And oh, by the way, don't take me for granted either. Uh, Brian, I, I spoke to, uh, I've been friends with Keyshawn Johnson for, since he was a player with the Jets. 
and I was broadcasting their games. And we've maintained a relationship since that time. He's doing a talk show now, as you know. Uh, right. Yesterday, I got into a dispute with him. He's a big Laker fan. I know that. Okay. Uh, and Kyrie Irving's name came up. And I said, I wouldn't touch that guy. He goes, why not? I said, well, look how he exited Cleveland. Look how he exited Boston. I mean, the, the players in the locker room were throwing a party when he left. Look what happened in Brooklyn. Uh, he goes, well, you know, all you haters. And I said, Keith, wait a minute. I don't hate the guy. This is strictly a guy that didn't want to take the inoculation, wanted to do things his own way. Uh, is he really a team guy? And he said, well, no, he and LeBron are close and all that. I said, okay, okay, I'll buy that. But when he said, had the Lakers had Keith Kyrie Irving now, they would not have been swept by Denver. As a matter of fact, they might have beaten them. And I went, I don't agree with that at all. Not even a little bit. I think that would have been better, but you're talking about a, a sweep versus a complete turnabout. I, I just don't see that. I agree with you. I, I don't, I don't know how much better they even would have been. Listen, whose minutes would he have taken? Right. Russell. Some of Russell's and Schroeder, yeah. but Russell didn't even play that much in this series. It was right. Schroeder. Yeah. And Schroeder was good. Howard. Yeah. Schroeder's one of the guys you keep on this team. Like, so, all right, so here's the thing with Kyrie, right? Yeah, he, listen, he wanted out of Cleveland. They traded him. The Boston situation was bad, mostly because Kyrie was suffering from some depression and some personal issues that he was going through at the time. And it's not something that's widely publicized, but he was dealing with some things. But here's the caution I would have for Keyshawn as a Laker fan. Like, you want to tell me he's good friends with LeBron? He, he declared that Kevin Durant was his best friend in the world. And in the end, when the Brooklyn Nets would not give him a contract, which, by the way, I will hold to this hour going into this free agency this summer, the contract offer that the Nets made him that offended him so badly that he wanted to demand a trade is going to be the best contract offer he sees in free agency. I, I don't there's no doubt in my mind. So he ran off on the Brooklyn Nets because and, and let's face it, he had two months where he played a, a fantastic basketball at a really high level. But there was no loyalty there to Durant at that moment. That relationship is kind of frayed. And that's what Kyrie does to relationships. Listen, the Lakers would be a better team with Kyrie Irving. There's no doubt. With that said, um, it comes with risk, too. But I'll also say this. I don't, if the option is bringing back D'Angelo Russell, I probably do find a way to get Irving in there. I, I think I, I'm not the biggest Irving fan these days because I think he brings a sideshow along with him and it has the potential to go bad. I also don't know what other options the Lakers have. I mean, there's been talk recently out of LA that, you know, there was overtures that are being made towards Atlanta for Trey Young. But the reality is the Lakers don't have enough to get Trey Young. Kyrie's a free agent. They can go figure out a way to do some cap gymnastics to be able to get him and still re-sign Reeves and Hachimura as long as the Bust family is willing to pay the luxury tax. And that's going to be the big factor here. So I could see it all happening and playing out. And I do understand, you know, and I'm with you on the fact that it's not being skeptical of Kyrie Irving doesn't make you a hater. Being skeptical of Kyrie Irving means that you're paying attention to what he's done at his last two destinations and how that's happened. So I, I, I would be hesitant to do that, but I also don't know that the Lakers are flush with choices if they want to maximize the last couple of years of LeBron's career. And, and you do know this at one point in both of their careers, it worked well enough between Kyrie and LeBron that they won a championship together. Brian Geltzahler, Sirius XM NBA Radio. Let's talk about the game tonight. Uh, the Celtics probably won't have Brogdon. 
Um, I think he's, he's, I'm not sure how severe the injury is. Was it an arm injury? Yeah. He's got an issue with his elbow. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, Miami may not have Vincent. They don't have Vincent. Vincent's already the Sham Sharani of the athletic earlier this morning said that they declared Gabe Vincent out tonight. And that's a big loss. I mean, look what he did in game three, but well, I think he had 29 in game three, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, he can fill it up. Uh, look what Jimmy, what, Jimmy Butler, I've always thought he was a great player, but I never thought he was a superstar. But right now, I think it's fair to say he's playing like a superstar. He is a superstar, Howard. He, you know, it's funny, this day and age in the NBA, you know, everybody wants to put down what happens in the regular season. You beat up on guys for load managing. You know, in the old days, it used to be, hey, the guy turns it up in the playoffs. Now it's like the guy's playing better in the playoffs. And the why wasn't he doing this in the regular season? It's amazing how those narratives shift. Listen, Butler's a big-time player. Butler is has – right now you're looking at Jimmy Butler as he could be the best player on a, on a team that wins a championship. He really could be. Tonight's interesting in this respect. Vincent is more vital to the Heat than Brogdon is to the Celtics. Yep. Doesn't mean Vincent's a better player. He's just more important for them. And what I mean is this: I think the Celtics will move forward without Brogdon and it won't be as big a deal. It's crowded in the Celtics backcourt. And Joe Mazzulla is committed to playing Marcus Smart a lot. And although in the regular season, that wasn't the best decision in the world, Smart's played pretty well here in the playoffs. I have to give Mazzulla credit on that. So, it, it gets tough. Somebody gets squeezed between Brogdon and White on minutes. Now that doesn't have to happen tonight. So I, I think Boston recovers from that pretty quickly. The thing for Miami is that Kyle Lowry, he's old. He's not in great shape. And he's terribly inconsistent. They're relying a whole lot on Kyle Lowry tonight. Keep in mind, it's not just Vincent. They still don't have Tyler Hero. They need Kyle Lowry to come out and play 35 great minutes of basketball to be able to win this team and close it out. Because here's what I will say about Miami. The pressure tonight is all on Boston. They have to hold serve at home. They've lost two in their own building. They have been really uneven as a kind word. Talk about how they've played at home in these playoffs. With that said, if Boston wins tonight, all the pressure squarely on the Miami Heat and the rest of the series. That's where it becomes huge. So tonight is a big night for Miami, and the expectations are that Kyle Lowry has a throwback night to the finals of 2019 where he played for Toronto and kind of gives them one of those games that we saw in, in the playing game against Atlanta. He scored 33 points. And I'm not saying they need 33 points out of Lowry. What they need him to do is play 35 minutes of hitting open shots finding guys, guarding really well, and most importantly, taking care of the basketball. If you want to point to one thing that was a big issue for Miami in their game four loss, 15 turnovers. Mm -hmm. They're just, they have to take care of the basketball just because in terms of, listen, they're not going to keep shooting the ball at this level. So the shooting's going to drop off a little bit. If you don't take care of the ball, Boston's a very tough team to beat from a talent standpoint because Boston will shoot the ball better and certainly did in game four. Hey, Gals, let me ask you this. You've been around the league long enough to, to know, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I don't think I remember a playoff uh, scenario. Look at all around both sides, east, west, where the road team has won a fair amount of games. Uh, I mean, you play for home court advantage. Look at Boston as an example. You know, they're 10 and 11 at home yep. in this year's playoffs. That's hard to fathom. It is hard to fathom, and I'm not, I don't even really know why. Like, I can look at individual teams and kind of estimate it. Like, my point being, the Knicks were a better road team than a home team this year. I think some of the pressure of the garden wore on some of the young guys a little bit. It's very hard to figure out 
with Boston about why they just don't play better at home. Um, listen, I'm not thrilled with the head coach there. I don't think – I think Joe Mazzulla – and one day he may be a very good coach in the NBA. I think he was put in a horribly unfair position as a 34-year-old head coach that that doesn't have any head coaching experience and having to come and, and, be, and lead a staff that didn't have that kind of guy – on a staff didn't have the kind of, you know, lead assistant that you need to, to harbor, to, to get you through this stuff. Plus they never replaced Will Hardy. They didn't replace Missoula when they promoted him. And then Damon Stoudemire left for Georgia tech in the middle of the year, who was his lead assistant. So it, it, it's, I think a lot of that has to do with some of, Missoula leaving the players to their own devices a little bit, which is something he's continuing to do. I thought he the one thing he did really well here um, before game four was to make the public statement that there is a, definitely a disconnect in the locker room. And I think it gained, it, it gained him back some credibility with his players that he had lost in acknowledging the fact that not everything I'm preaching is getting home. He spent a whole lot of time throwing his players under the bus here in these playoffs using terms like game plan discipline and we're not executing. And my favorite one was um, we were prepared, but we let go of the rope. All of that is throwing players under the bus, which is one of the reasons I think you saw you know everybody kind of roll up into a ball and, and essentially quit in game three. So Missoula got some of that credibility back, but I do think some of the issues with playing at home for Boston are tied to the fact that the coach is extremely inexperienced and the players are left to their own devices, not only on the court, but from a preparation standpoint as well. Yeah, you made a great point. Uh, throwing his team under the bus, which shocked me when I saw it. But by the yeah. same token, at the end, he said, it's on me. So, I mean, you're talking out of both sides of your mouth now, aren't you? You, you on one hand, you're taking the blame. On the other hand, you're dishing out the blame. Uh, so there's mixed messages here. Let me look. Missoula has come under a lot of criticism. I get that. He's a rookie head coach. Do I completely agree with you about he should have had a veteran lead assistant on the staff? No doubt about it. But, but I lay that on the on the organization, not on him. As we look, go go ahead. I'll say this hour to, to that. I, I, I think you're onto something there. I worry about this organization's willingness to spend money because sure. I do think not putting a, a hiring enough assistant coaches and having a lead assistant there that they would have had to pay a couple of bucks to, I think is on the ownership group with Grouse, Beck, Steve Pauyuka. And, and the reason I have legit concern for that. Jalen Brown just made all NBA. He's looking for a, a, an extension of $50 million or more now at this stage. And that means that if they want to keep Tatum and Brown together, they're going to have to pay a lot of luxury tax. And I think that if you want to, in this day and age, if you want to have a perennial title contender or a multi-year title contender for a five-year period, which is what Boston is set up for, you got to be willing to foot that money. And they got a very good regional TV deal. It just appears as though this ownership group is just hesitant to pull the trigger on spending a lot of money. And I think that's going to be something that bears watching here coming into this offseason as Jalen Brown is extension eligible. Yeah, you know, I'm glad you brought up Jalen Brown. Because I've been saying out loud, and only my wife has heard me, <laughs> because I can, like you and all the other people that get into the game, we start yelling at the television set like a couple of idiots. All the time. Oh, yeah. All the time. So <laughs> I'm watching the game the other night. I said, why aren't they going to Jalen Brown more? You know, look, I respect Jason Tatum. I think first time I saw him in the NCAA playoffs when he was at Duke, I went, whoa, this guy's going to be a star in the NBA. Now, look, he can drop 50 on you any particular night. I get that. But I don't think they go to Jalen Brown as much as they should. Uh, is that the reason why they're down in the series? No, not necessarily. But watch what happens tonight. If Boston is successful, I guarantee you Jalen Brown is going to be part of 
part of the solution. What's interesting with Missoula is he doesn't call a lot of guys' numbers. Well, it's not called Tatum's number a ton. It's more Tatum's teammates looking to him. Um, they want to do this free-flowing system that they run, and he doesn't call a ton of stuff. And sometimes, you know, Hapless and Tatum in the first two games of the series took three shots combined in the fourth quarter. Game one, he didn't have a shot in the fourth quarter. Hmm. So it, it's so some of this stuff for them is the fact that just they're free-flowing an offense that isn't running through the main guys enough. I also think this about Brown. Brown, the Celtics in general have a turnover issue, and no one embodies it more than Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown will try to do too much off the dribble at times and give up the ball a heck of a lot. And I think that part of him trying to not do that as much has hampered his production. And I agree with you. I think they're going to need more out of him. But I also think part of getting more out of Brown, because he's so damn athletic, is and we saw this in game four, even though Brown didn't have a great game, Transition, transition, transition. The mm-hmm. Celtics have to run in this series. They have that you cannot rely on the three-point shot and be strictly a jump shooting team to beat a team like the Miami Heat. You have to put pressure on Miami in transition because the one thing that that's going to do, listen, Miami's been crashing the offensive glass and having some success doing that. And especially with Kevin Love in the game, when, when it's out of bio and Kevin Love and they're going to crash the offensive glass, well, geez, you know, the one way that you could pull them off the offensive glass, get out and run and get some easy buckets in transition. And, and I think Jalen Brown plays a huge role in doing that. So I would think to see the Celtics continue to play much the more of a speed game a la game four as opposed to the pace they've played in one two and three talking with brian geltzadler of sirius xm nba radio let's talk about who gives denver a tougher series boston or miami uh look right now miami's sitting in the driver's seat uh they went tonight it's over but let's just assume that boston wins the game and it's three two then they go back to miami and who knows what's going to happen from then the you're right the pressure then shifts on the heat uh, but right now, the pressure is on Boston to win or go take out your golf clubs for the rest of the summer. So who gives Denver a tougher series? Uh, I think Boston does, just because there's a lot more talent there. And if Boston survives this series and comes back from 3-0, there's going to be some momentum and a tremendous amount of emotion behind them. And, and so I think Boston gives – I think Boston-Denver's a knockdown drag out six, seven game series. Um, Listen, Miami can hang in with anybody, but I do think for Miami, they do have a size problem against Denver. There's no doubt that not only underneath, but on the perimeter as well. Listen, they get away with playing some smaller guys, Miami. You know, Struce is only about 6'5". Martin's about 6'6". Michael Porter Jr. plays the three for them, and Mm -hmm. he's 6'10". Aaron Gordon is 6'9", playing the four for them. They're huge. They are huge on the perimeter. So, like, I, I look at this team at Denver and, and and how they match up on Miami. Now, again, Miami can get hot and hit a lot of threes. Denver definitely will have moments of defensive lapses that really haven't cost them at all in these playoffs. And, and I don't know that the Lakers were equipped enough to take advantage. And the Lakers, in all fairness, were in all four games. I mean, they, they played they played them very tight and very close for four games. But I do think Denver has some defensive lapses. And I think Boston's ability to knock down open threes, I think, is a really, really important factor as well. When I first went to the Boston Celtics to broadcast their games on radio, Rick Pitino was a coach. And he took that job, number one, for a lot of money, about $10 million a year. But also because they had two lottery picks. And it, it looked pretty good that he was going to get Tim Duncan. Well, it didn't work out that way. And I thought of that. Uh, the other day when uh, Juan Bonata got uh, drafted by, uh, got he's going to be drafted, you figure, by San Antonio, which means that Popovich 
is going to be the coach for the foreseeable future because he ain't going anywhere with this kid. Have you? I haven't seen much of Wambayana. Have you? I have. I've watched him a, a bunch. Um, listen, the kids, the kids going to be great. He, I can understand why he's the most highly touted prospect in the last twenty years since LeBron. I get that. You know, there's there's narratives that are being floated by scouts that I don't necessarily agree with. Like he's going to be the best player in the NBA within three years. Like he can lead the Spurs, you know, into the playoffs in his first year. I'm a little guy still 18 years old. I'm a little right. slow our roll a little bit. Keep this in mind. Shot 28% from three this year for the hmm. team, for his Mets 92 team he played on. Um, I, I just, I, so the, and his form's great and he handles the ball really well, but he's got to put the right kind of weight on. He's got to get himself, you know, comfortable and acclimated to the NBA game and the speed of the game. The one place where I think he can be really impactful from day one, when he walks on the floor is on the defensive end of the floor because he's got quick feet. He's got this eight foot wingspan, which is absolutely Mm. unbelievable. He's got really good health defense instincts. And he's the kind of guy that you'll never see him and he'll block your shot. Like that's how long he can come from particular areas. And he's in a spot where a, you know, he's going to be in great condition. B the Spurs player development programs as good as any, and they'll work with him really well and C they'll also bring him along at the proper speed and the proper pace and not throw too much on his shoulders before they think he's ready to handle it, which is what can happen. You know, listen, teams that get in a lottery, Howard, in the lottery for a reason. Yeah. They've had a terrible year. Sometimes in some situations, coaching's not great. Other situations, management's not great. And they'll get their hands on a Victor Wembayama, and it's all in. We'll throw everything on him. San Antonio was the perfect place for him to develop in the way that, that they want him to develop and the way that he can develop. Because the reality is for the Spurs, they've, they won a title as recently as 2014. They understand the way the process works. They're not, they're patient. They're not going to be in a hurry saying, we got them. We have to win now. We need to make an impact. They're not worried about a coach being fired if they don't make the playoffs next year. They don't have executives that that are going to worry about losing their jobs if they don't make the playoffs next year. It's a perfect spot for him to land and develop. I just implore people and fans and media to give the kids some time to get his legs underneath him on an NBA level. And I think we'll all be richly rewarded as basketball fans and watching what'll be one of the great players in the league for many years to come. Hey, Gels, before I let you go, you got five coaching jobs that are open right now. Uh, when you look at Milwaukee, I mean, who doesn't want to coach Giannis? Uh, when you look at Phoenix, what, there's a question marks there about Durant and so on. Uh, Toronto, Philadelphia, and Detroit, the other coaching availabilities Look at the guys that are out there. Uh, Nick Nurse, you have to believe he's going to be some, he's going to land somewhere. Monty Williams, maybe. I'm hearing Mike D'Antoni's name. I'm hearing Kenny Atkinson's name. Uh, Steve Nash. Uh, what's the most coveted job of those five? Would it be Milwaukee? Probably, but Phoenix is a very close second. Milwaukee is just because of Giannis's age. And if you get in there and you partner well with Giannis and you have playoff success, you're in that job for a while. 
And and so I think that that's because keep in mind, this next coach that Milwaukee has is not only charged with winning, you're charged with making Giannis happy so he doesn't ask out as he approaches the end of this next extension. So it's and so to me, the upside of Milwaukee's job is higher than anybody. The Phoenix job's a great job too. She's at the ranch 35 years old. Like so that that's you only have him really at his peak two years, right? Three years max. I mean, three years is probably stretching it. Um, so I, I think that's a really attractive job. Philly is the one you kind of scratch your head on a little bit because they don't want to pay hard and all that money. Um, you hear rumblings that Joel Embiid, if they don't necessarily partner him with another star, if they end up losing Harden, that Joel Embiid may not want to stay there long term. There's that's that's out there. Um, so Philly, there's a lot of pressure in that job, and you could end up having to steward a rebuild. So, so that that that's kind of this tough situation there. Listen, the Phoenix job is very attractive. You know, you're hearing the name Kevin Young, their lead assistant from last year, as being a, a big factor to get that job. I'm not sure. Sure that I would want a coach with experience there. I've heard Doc's name being pretty prominent there, and I don't think that's a bad spot for Doc at all. I think that'd be a good spot for him. You know, Nick Nurse is going to have a job, whether it ends up being Milwaukee, Phoenix, or Philly, one of those mm-hmm. three. You know, I, I think if Nurse doesn't get the Milwaukee job, I think you could see Monty Williams walk into that job. I've heard Jerry Stackhouse's name attached to Toronto. He had a wealth of transfers at Vanderbilt, guys that went into the portal. And, and I think that that could play a factor in maybe him leaving there and jumping on the Toronto job if that's available to him. So it, it's a lot of question marks out there for all this. Another name with Philly, if it doesn't end up being Nurse, I'd keep a close eye on Sam Cassell, who's been waiting a long time to get a head coaching job. Very, very widely respected around the league, very mm-hmm. well respected within Philly, and, and would be a player's type of coach that maybe could make MB pretty comfortable. He's got a relationship with him from having been there in a while. But it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out. Nothing has happened. Yet, do we see who ends up in the finals? Because the the, the big matzo ball and all this, Howard, okay, is 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 Boston. Because if Missoula somehow gets fired, and they let's say they lose tonight, and he gets fired, that becomes a maybe the more attractive job than any of the others with the talent yeah. that they have. And another name I'd keep an eye on is a dark horse in Phoenix, Milwaukee, Philly, and potentially if Boston comes available, watch Frank Vogel. Frank. Vogel could very well surface somewhere, did a great job with the Lakers. And if you are a team like Milwaukee, like Boston, with very good defensive personnel, Frank Vogel will come in there and put a scheme in place that makes you the best defensive team in the league. I'll, I'll I add a little to what you just said about Frank Vogel. As I mentioned, when I was in Boston under Patino, uh, Frank Vogel was his, his video guy. And yep. I, I spent a lot of time talking with Frank. I mean, Obviously, his knowledge of the NBA is unquestioned. Uh, but I thought when he got fired, I thought they fired the wrong guy. I don't think the coach needed to get fired. I thought from up above is where they should have chopped heads. They didn't do it for whatever the reason. I hope Frank gets a job uh, only because I have a little bit of a history with him. Before I let you go, the Knicks surprised some people by beating Cleveland. Uh, I thought Cleveland would win the series. They did a great job on Donovan Mitchell. They deserve credit. The Knicks are an intriguing team uh, going into this offseason. A lot of question marks, but there's not one question mark about Jalen Brunson. Without question, the best free agent signing in the history of that franchise, right? I mean, he what a what a great year, but I'm not so sure about other pieces. I'm not so sure if Julius Randle is going to be a Nick come next year. What are you hearing? All right, well, let's start here. This was a a wildly successful season for the New York Knicks. 
they made into game six of the second round of the playoffs with an average age in their nine man rotation of 24.7 years old. That is something that you you cannot understate how important it was for these young guys, for Barrett, for Robinson, to be able to go get playing time in the playoffs in big moments against the Eric Spolster's Miami Heat. It is so valuable for them. I agree. Jalen Brunson's a star. Okay, Jalen Brunson is a star player in this league. That is gonna he will win multiple All NBA honors through the course of his career. And they have a star in place now, which is great for the Knicks. The Knicks have all their picks, excluding this year's draft, which after Wembyama, Scoot Henderson, and Brandon Miller is not the strongest draft in the world, and it, it falls off quick. So for the Knicks to not have a pick, not a big deal. They have every other pick plus uh, of their own, plus three, and one more from Dallas. So, I mean, they have tons of picks that they can put in a trade. All these really good young players. Next star player that comes available that they want, it's theirs. And, and they'll be able to go do that. So I think the Knicks are in a wonderful position. If a team wants Randall in a deal, then they'll put Randall forth in a deal. Listen, I think we've seen one thing about Julius Randall that's very important to understand. His style of play works very well in the regular season when you're playing against the best defenses the league has to offer his style of play is not an effective style in the playoffs and he has not two playoffs now in the last three years Randall hasn't adjusted and so I know a lot of Nick fans want Randall gone but Randall's only going to be gone if it's the right kind of deal where he's a lead piece that another team wants that what the Knicks may do is bring in someone else around Randall and maybe Randall isn't your number one or number two maybe he becomes your number three guy and he's got to worry about living with that the thing about Julius Randle that concerns me is the body language thing and he's not always a good teammate you know Obi Toppin finished a game earlier in the year Randle instead of being a towel waver on the sidelines and congratulating him you know sat and pouted a little bit that's Mm -hmm. the kind you want to see him be more of a team guy with that said Leon Rose has shown us already he's not going to take cents in the dollar for guys he's not going to make a deal he doesn't want to make you know he'll be patient with all this so I, I really I think the Knicks future is extremely extremely promising and whatever star becomes available and we may be surprised at who becomes available could be Lillard could be Towns could be Jalen Brown could be Embiid we can go fly through them every single one probably except for Lillard because the Knicks have Brunson every other non-point guard star that's available the Knicks will be a prominent name in being able to bid for that guy we we began this discussion by talking about mob movies I'm gonna give you something for your trivia What what are the three phrases that Denzel Washington uses in every movie he's been in? I don't know. Tell me. Number one, my man. Right. Number two, That's true. you could believe that. And number three, no, you didn't. You I check, love it. You check it. I watched Training Day again. And there it is. All three were used. In the Absolutely. <laughs> Fantastic. Gelsky, stay safe, man. Thanks for your time. You too, Howard. Always my pleasure, buddy. Take care. Brian Gelfiler, Sirius XM, NBA Radio. It's always good talking uh, with a guy that really has an understanding of his craft. Gels has that. You know, it's about that. Yeah, <laughs> hey, you got to have a little fun. You know, why are you doing this? You know, why are you doing this? You do this because, one, because preparation is good. You don't prepare, or as John Wooden said, Preparing to, uh, uh, failure to prepare is preparing to fail. Number two, you use that information that you've researched. Three, you pick the brain of the person you're talking and try to extract the best out of that individual. And then you learn a lot. 
because the day doesn't go by that you don't learn something. Having said that, I want you to write that down. And <laughs> next time you're talking to somebody, hey, remember what Howard David said? Well, if that's what you do, you got a problem. Folks, stay safe. Have a nice day. Thanks for being a part of Howard David Live and a bite of the Big Apple. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.